Welcome back to Corona Cold Reads, my entertainment world's answer to social isolation. Um, the Corona Cold Reads troupe has now officially completed every play in Shakespeare's canon, um, and we are moving on. Uh, as I'm recording this, we are actually we have actually finished our initial run of plays, which lasted a year and a half. Uh, we began the very first week that the lockdowns began in Toronto, and we met for a while every two uh, twice every week. Um, and then we moved to once a week and we really developed a core troop of actors, both pro and amateur who came together, um, to read these plays, uh, every single week for a year and a half. So, um, we are now releasing them all for you to enjoy in podcast form. They're also all available on YouTube. If you prefer to watch the video version, um, I will give you a heads up for specific episodes. If I really think you should watch the YouTube version, um, cause there's a few that have really fun costumes and impressions and some cool visual effects and things. But for the most part, you should be okay to listen in podcast form. Uh, please do keep in mind that these are all real cold reads. For the most part, nobody found out uh, who they were reading, what characters they were reading um, with more than 24 hours notice. In most cases, people are genuinely reading cold. They haven't looked at the text beforehand. So there will be some stumbles and there will be points at which people are on mute and we have to figure out what's going on or a dog wanders into the frame or we have to deal with life interfering with our um, coping strategy here. So uh, please do be patient with that sort of thing. Um, so as we, we finished all of Shakespeare, so now we're moving on to the rest of the, I don't know, written word, I guess. Um, our strategy here was to break uh, everything down into mini seasons. Um, so we, we, we begin with uh, a season of Chekhov plays, and then we end with a season of Shaw plays. And in between, uh, we do a Sorkin season and a season of, uh, we do some seasonal things. So um, one-offs for Halloween or for Christmas or things like that. So we have a romance season for Valentine's. So everything is sort of uh, built like that. Um, in little chunks. So I hope you enjoy and um, please do check us out at my ent world, my ENT world, both on Twitter and Instagram. Um, there's lots of great contact content going up there, both designed for those platforms as well as linking you back to the website, which is myentertainmentworld.ca. You can find all of our written work um, reviews from all sorts of different arts uh, branches and we also there have the links to um, each of these posts where you can find the full cast lists um, and links to the videos as well if you're interested in checking those out for Corona Cold Reads um, and please do subscribe on iTunes where you can find all of our uh, podcast content which there's tons of it we have all sorts of different series going um, we have the favorite series in Corona Cold Reads and Corona Movie Club and um season one episode one and all sorts of other uh, great content in, in addition to our regular my entertainment world podcast so um please do check that out rate and review all that jazz and uh thanks for tuning in so with Chekhov season behind us, uh, we embarked on the real reason that I wanted to do this season structure. I had this idea in my head of getting to do a bunch of Sorkin texts. I love Aaron Sorkin. My background is in television and in theater. And so you put those two things together and Aaron Sorkin really is just, I, I love him. He's my favorite modern writer. And uh, so I really wanted to tackle a bunch of his texts. I knew that we wouldn't, it would be our first foray out of strictly doing 
um, theater texts. Uh, we had done Clue for Halloween, but other than that, we, we'd stayed really much in theater plays. Um, and in this season, we were going to be able to find a balance. Um, so that was really fun. But going into Sorkin, knowing that there was going to be a balance of theater and television, we weren't going to do any film work. Um, I wanted to start with theater because I think that that is, um, you know, it's what we do. Uh, so why not start with where he started as well? Um, interestingly though, it's one of his later works. We decided to start with the Farnsworth invention, um, which is a play. I believe it came out in 2011, somewhere around there. Um, and it only really played on Broadway. It's, it's hard to reproduce cause it, it's got all these various uh, locations and a huge cast and, um, it just doesn't get produced very often because you need a big old budget to do it, um, which is why he works mostly in film these days. Uh, but the last play, oh, I guess other than the Mockingbird adaptation, but the last play he did that was truly original was The Farnsworth Invention. Um, and I'm very partial to it. I think it's it's a really cool play. I think it's got um, a lot of ambition. It's got some really interesting perspectives. Obviously, it's Sorkin, so it's got some like just knock him dead monologues. Um, and he also, through his entire career, was always really interested in Philo Farnsworth. And um, there's a great speech delivered by William H. Macy in second season of Sports Night all about Philo Farnsworth's uh, brother-in-law and how he made glass tubes. And that was his contribution. And I think it's really um, that when you get to that part of the play, it's my one of my favorite things Sorkin's ever written. I think it's such a cool perspective. Um, I want to say they maybe do a similar speech in the West Wing somewhere as well. Um but anyway, he's always been interested in Philo Farnsworth and David Sarnoff, who are the um, credited, uncredited uh, inventors of the television, um, which is also interesting because we're going to be leading into two weeks of television writing. Um, so stay tuned for that in the coming weeks. But uh, this one is really special. It's lesser known, um, and I really wanted to highlight it. Um, so this is one of those, it's an insane cat. There's like a thousand characters in this play. So rather than take you through the entire cast list, um, I'm going to start with the two actors who played the leads, um, who each only played one character. Uh, that's David Sarnoff, who was played by Louis Fernandez, and Philo Farnsworth, who is Andrew Patty. Um, I do want to tell you a little bit about those two actors. Uh, Louis is... Um, a really fantastic actor and uh, he runs the assembly theater. He's like a, a venue owner. He's a really dynamic, interesting person um, who does a lot for theater in Toronto and he's such a great actor. Um, and this is not the kind of role he usually gets. Uh, and so I really enjoyed seeing him play it. Uh, this sort of like fast talking slickster. Uh, it was so, so smart. It was really, he was great in it. And it's worth checking out the YouTube video because he has a hat and a mustache. It's like a whole thing. Um, and then the other person is Philo Farnsworth, who's played by Andrew Patty, who is not an actor at all. He's actually an old friend of mine who we met doing the Shakespeare Society with a lot of the actors from Corona Cold Reads back in college. And um, he is actually a scientist and a programmer. And he, uh, when I first read the Farnsworth invention, you know, over a decade ago, I pictured Andrew Patty. That's like who I thought of when I was reading about Philo Farnsworth, this sort of like really brilliant kind of awkward gangly but like so brilliant and good person um and he was my touchstone for that so um he's a brilliant person and he does a wonderful job uh embodying this character because i think that they're kind of soul sisters or soul brothers a little bit whatever soul brother sounds weird i don't know <laughs> kindred spirits maybe um so yeah, the rest of the cast, I'll walk you through who they are, but I'm not going to give you their giant list of characters because they're each playing like seven people. 
Um, so joining uh, Lewis and Andrew, we have Nicole Falgu, Allison Lauder, uh, Christopher Prentice, Elizabeth Morris, Robert Skeins, Lee, Hillary Wardinger, Laura Hubbard, Elizabeth Ramirez, Saya Floyd, Shailen Bass McFall, Joshua McFall, and Miriam Bachman. Um, so I've now talked for like a decade on this one. So um, can you tell I love Sorkin? Anyway, I hope you enjoy this. I think it's a really, really cool show. And if someone wants to produce it in Toronto, let me know. I am there opening night with bells on. The Farnsworth Invention. Act one. As the audience enters, a scrim curtain is down. The curtain is a huge diagram of Philo Farnsworth's television operating system, complete with indecipherable equations and ungodly electronic components. The scrim conceals the playing area, a raked stage which will have to serve many purposes. The action should flow from scene to scene seamlessly, with a new scene being defined by a sudden lighting change, a sound cue, or a set piece being slammed. With the exception of the principles, actors will double and triple in roles. As the house lights go out, a small pool of light comes up behind the scrim, revealing David Sarnoff. Sarnoff is of indeterminate age, but he's an alpha male. Confident with a dry wit, he's generally the smartest person in any room he walks into. He doesn't suffer fools, but he's able to recognize character and intelligence in his enemies, of which he has many. He addresses the audience directly and informally. Good evening. I'm David Sarnoff. There's a rule in storytelling that says you never tell your audience something they already know, but I'm going to chance it anyway by starting like this. The only reason that you can see me right now is because light is reflecting off of me. Light bounces. And I want to make sure everyone knew that or 20 minutes in, you're going to be like, what in the hell is happening? Can we show everyone else? Pools of light hit up on the other actors in the cast, plays variously around the stage. Thank you. The cast exits. You also need to know that 17 is a very important number, but I'm going to remind you of that later. And by the, and by the way, the ends, they do justify the means because that's what the means are for. Now, it's 1921, and not a lot of people were thinking about electrons except the writers of comic books and the readers of comic books, one of whom was a kid from Indian, Indian Creek, Utah, whose family had just moved to Rigby, Idaho to live on his uncle's potato farm. If there are any Brits in the house, they're going to start shouting, John Logie barred at me, but they're wrong. Bard didn't have it. Neither did Nipkow or Ernest Alexanderson, and neither did Vladimir Workin. I know they didn't have it because I knew these men, and Workin worked for me. Nobody had it. Nobody was close. And let me tell you, nobody cared that much because, at best, it was going to be considered a nifty parlor trick. Nobody had it except the 14-year-old kid in Rigby, Idaho, standing in a field of potatoes. He wrote a three-disc plow drawn by a mule, making three parallel lines in the earth at once, then three more, then three more, then three more until he was done all his work. He stepped off the plow, looked back at the rows and rows of parallel lines, and that's when he realized the key to the most influential invention in history. So he did what any world-class electrical engineer would do in that situation. He went to see his ninth-grade science teacher. Lights change to the classroom, where Tolman is working at his desk. Young Philo taps on the open door. Excuse me. Yeah. Mr. Tolman? What can I do for you? Are you Mr. Tolman? Yeah. My name's Philo Farnsworth. My family just moved here. I'm starting school on Monday. Well, you're going to have me for basic science. I wanted to ask you about that. Yeah. I was wondering if I could skip basic science and take your chemistry class instead. 
you got to have basic science before you can take chemistry. I understand. Good. I think that's perfectly reasonable. Thanks. Anything else? Could I ask you a quick question? Remember, it's 1921. The guy hasn't started ninth grade and we're in Huckleberry, Idaho. Listen to what comes out of his mouth. When light hits photoelectric material, it releases a spray of electrons, right? Hmm? Hmm? This is John, Justin Tolman, by the way. Now, he's a decent enough guy, but he'll be easy to destroy during the deposition, depositions. You know, right now, he has no idea what just walked into his classroom. Now, go ahead. Ask the question again. Photoelectric material, like, say, selenium, it releases a spray of electrons when, it hits li when light hits it. Yeah. And a cathode does essentially the opposite, right? It takes invisible electrons and makes them glow. I think so. Okay, thank you. And Philo exits. What the hell? Yeah, I get used to it, my friend. He already told his father about the idea. He explained that tele was Greek and meant distant, vision from a distance, television. The father said he wouldn't, shouldn't repeat this stuff to anyone else because no one would take him seriously again. This is like Toscani's dad telling him no one's going to take you seriously with a stick in your hand. It's Tuesday, second day of school. A school bell rings. All right, that's it. <clears throat> Everyone put the homework assignments on my desk as you leave this room and quickly and quietly as possible. It was a one-page assignment from the front of the textbook. Whoa, whoa, what's this? Homework. This is last night's homework? No, I just went ahead and did it for the whole year. Is that okay? Tolman starts leafing through Philo's pages as Sarnoff turns on his camera. All right. You know what? You stay for a second. The rest of you, let's go. Come on, let's go. The rest of the students exit. Kid, your father, he works for the government. He's a scientist. He's a potato farmer. You read at home? Yes, sir. Tesla? Yes. Edison? Yeah. Marconi? Yes. What else? I like the Sears Reebok catalog. Okay. Well, you've passed basic science. Hey, thanks. That's great news. And Philo just stands there. That's it. Can I draw something for you? Excuse me? Can I draw something for you? Yeah. Tolman hands him a piece of paper and Philo starts drawing. You trap light in an empty jar, roughly the size of what your mother would use to keep fresh fruit, only it would have to be a vacuum jar, a vacuum jar. And the inside of the jar is treated with a special surface that reflects, reacts to light and converts it into electrical impulses. And we scan the impulses line by line. 50, 60 lines, I don't know, 500 lines. The effect would be instantaneous, but in actuality, we'd be reading it line by line. The way we plow a field. Um, the cathode, the selenium, the vacuum jar, what's this all about? I think there's a way to transmit pictures electronically through the air the way we're doing, way we're doing sound and radio. This last line was spoken by the adult Philo Farnsworth who's walked up behind his childhood self to deliver the punchline of the scene. Philo's a few years younger than Sarnoff. He has a quick, often self-deprecating wit, and like a giant who's not careful who's careful not to trample on a mouse, Philo knows not to use his intellectual not to use his intellect to pick on anyone who isn't his own size. Sarnoff's the only man who's ever met that description. 
As soon as Philo says the word radio, it begins to rain and a Russian police officer enters, shouting. Komenda, zajgite fakuli. Lights change to a Uslian shtetl, as some officers enter with lit torches. Shtetl is a Yiddish word that means ghetto, and this shtetl was in the Uslian province of, I think, Minsk, but I'm not sure. There's a lot about this history that's a little cloudy to me. Upstage, a little boy and his his parents are packing the last of their stuff onto a wagon. Sarnoff's 10 years old when the Tsar sends the cops out uh, to empty out the village. Uh, Translate to Russian, please. I I don't remember a lot of Russian. You remember this? It had something to do with the lighting the... uh... Translate the damn Russian. (laughs) Uh, Kamada means it's company, battalion. He's calling to the other officers. Light the torches. An officer comes up to the boy. Uh, Don't be scared. We're not monsters. Your father has a lot of books. Do you like books? And 10-year-old Sarnoff says to the armed Russian officer, Go fuck yourself. What did you say? I didn't say anything. Ladna. Good. Except go fuck yourself. Take your hand off me before I make you shoot me in front of 200 people. And they burned his house down while he watched. The family moved to the Lower East Side of Manhattan where Sarnoff and, and sold Yiddish newspapers on a street corner. His father died when he was 13, and by 14, he had absolutely no trace of a Russian accent. The New York Herald was hiring messenger boys, and he went in for the job. But when he got to the Herald, uh, when he got to the Herald building, he went into the wrong office. Lights change to office, where two men are working at a desk and a third is sitting at a table. The third man has headphones on and is transcribing a message at a wireless set. Young Sarnoff walks in. Can I help you? Uh, the paper said you need messenger boys, and I'd like the job. This isn't the Herald. You're in the wrong office. You want to go down the hall. I'm sorry? This isn't the newspaper. We just lease office space here. This is the commercial cable company. Sorry. Not a problem. You want to be down the hall. Young Sarnoff walks off, starts to, or starts to leave, but stops. What do you do? We send and receive cable messages. Radio, you heard of it? He was in love. I know how he felt. It took him a week and a half to become the company's best wireless operator, but they fired him anyway because he wouldn't work on the Jewish holidays. That was fine, though, because it set the stage for the first triumph, his first triumph, and it was on a massive scale. Lights change to American Marconi. Something's going on. There's a large crowd of people being held back by a few police officers. Young Sarnoff is manning a wireless machine. Every once in a while, he'll shout a, shout a name to the crowd as he writes it down. James Cooley, 
James W. Cooley. He'd been hired by American Marconi, the American arm of the British-owned Marconi Wireless Telegraph and Signal Company. American Marconi rented a tiny room on the second floor of Wanamaker's department store. On this night, the police were handling the crowd uh, that was going down on the street, and there were even a few officers upstairs with some VIPs that had been let in. It was Sunday night, and 30 hours earlier, earlier, the Parisian, a passenger ship of about 300 nautical miles off the coast of Nova Scotia, had gotten a radio message. Mrs. William Christensen. Watch still makes his way through the crowd at the door and over to Sims, who's busy and energized. Eddie, what the hell is going on? I've been on a train from Chicago for 16 hours. The Carpathia's got 712 survivors on board. Confirmed? Yes. How do we know? They radioed another ship, the Parisian, and we're on with them right now. They've got the names. Douglas W. Winston. Sim stops his movement. We've got the names. Winslow, I'm sorry, uh, Douglas W. Winslow? Are you telling me we're the only ones with the names of the survivors? <laughs> yeah. How the hell We did... got all the other wireless stations on the Atlantic coast to shut down to avoid interference. Would there have been interference? <laughs> no. <laughs> Who got them to do that? Indi- indicating young Sarnoff. He did. Mr. and Mrs. Theodore Merriweather. Uh, and Julianne, Julianne Merriweather. Sarnoff holds up his hand to indicate just a moment. Who is that? He got fired from the commercial cable company because they wouldn't work on Hanukkah or something. I don't know what the fuck. But he's been sitting there for 30 hours straight. He won't give up the chair. What's his name? David Sarnoff. And American Marconi was on the map, or at least on the map enough to catch the attention of the War Department, which decided that it probably wasn't a good idea to have a foreign company installing electronic communication systems in our ships. By congressional mandate, American Marconi had to be sold, and they asked the General Electric Corporation to pick up, pick it up for some lunch money. GE did their duty, and at a press conference held on Sarnoff's 22nd birthday with Sarnoff and his beautiful French wife, the former Lisette Hermont, Jim Harbord announced that GE had acquired American Marconi and was converting its assets into a new company. The Radio Corporation of America. The RCA logo to much applause is revealed by two sexy women on either side of an easel. Sarnoff was appointed commercial manager at $45 a week. It was an executive job, but the one no one else wanted. The job meant coming up with new uses for radio, and other than, please help me, my boat is sinking, there were no other uses for radio, and the other guys who founded the company with, with him gave him a hard time about it. In fact, at the press conference, one of the two co- uh, colleagues asked him ex- exactly what he did and uh, what did he have in mind for the future uses. And Sarnoff coolly responded, "Farm reports. What? Weather reports for farmers." He kind of walked away to listen to the rest of the press conference. So these two guys never heard him add, "And music. And music is right. Information and entertainment. Why?" Because Sarnoff's vision for radio wasn't one person talking to another person. It was one person talking to a million people. 
a network of radio stations all under the RCA banner, broadcasting a signal to millions of living rooms with RCA radio receivers. He was out of high school, out of the Navy, and after a year at Brigham Young, ran out of money for tuition. It was time to build a television set. Through a series of letters, Farnsworth made an appointment to see George Everson and Leslie Gorell, the local community chest in Provo. Lights change to community chest, where Everson and Gorell are sitting working. Professionally, Everson and Gorell were fundraisers for charitable organizations, but privately, they'd be considering investing some of their own money in technology, though they probably had in mind was farm technology. Philo's entered the storefront office. I'm George Everson. Philo Farnsworth. This is my partner, uh, partner Leslie Gorell. Philo's an unusual name. My grandfather was an officer in the Civil War, and he got the name from... Which side? Uh, I'm sorry? Which side was he on in the war? Leslie. I'm not allowed to ask which side? It's not polite. It was a war, George. He's upset today because our car won't run. And you gotta tell people? We went in a car together. That Chandler Roadster outside? He hates the car. $75 a piece, mint condition, reliable, comfortable, speeds up to 50 miles per hour. Reliable? Excuse me, but that car has been nothing. is sitting in front of the... It's inert. What, what should we rep- rely upon it for exactly? Maybe if we exhibited a more business-like demeanor and stuck to the matter at hand. Sure. Thank you. What the hell was your name again? Uh, Philo Farnsworth. And what, what do you want? I need $20,000 to set up a lab and create a device that'll transmit pictures moving pictures electronically through the air and then reassemble them at great distances all in a fraction of a second. Huh? You see, if you can convert light, a light image into many horizontal lines. Uh, no, no you, you want how much? Uh, $20,000. It's a lot, but it's what I believe it'll take to create a working prototype. Bare bones. You have to understand, we'd be starting with nothing but a work table and a generator, so I'd have to... This is the community chest. Yes. We're fundraisers. Yeah. We raise money for charities. There's a flood, a town needs a new school. That's what we like. But your letter said you might be interested in investing in a new... What letter? I sent him a letter. It was in response to my letter. Which said? That I was seeking investors for an idea I have for something that could transmit pictures through the air. Are you losing your mind? If it helps, I can tell you that sound would be synchronized and transmitted simultaneously. Would it? Yeah. And you wrote back saying... That it sounded very interesting. Okay, let's stop here, because... Well, we always talk about maybe getting involved in an endeavor. Yeah, and what is it you want to do? I want to transmit moving pictures electronically through the air, capture them again in a cathode ray tube, and then project them onto a screen in your house. Why not? Because I didn't understand a fucking word this kid just said, and neither did you. So, let's hear him say more. Why? Because while you're listening, I'm going to fix your car. He did. Lights change to the street at the Chandler Roadster. I have no reason not to believe his biographers when they say he started the car. 
which is probably more than we can say for the Titanic story. Excuse me? Wanamaker's has never been open on Sunday. Listen, you ridiculous hayseed savant. I'm the world's first communications mogul. You don't think we're fucking, we fucking knew how to get into our, Never mind. There were 712 survivors. You want me to name them? Merriweather, Cooley, Dobson, Dotson, Winslow. Phil, there's no reason for me to make this shit up. Keys? Everson tosses Philo the keys and Philo gets under the hood. Your letter said you were in the Navy. Yes, sir. The U.S. Navy. Thank you. Why'd you leave? Anything you invent while you're in the Navy belongs to the Navy. So how does it work? It's been demonstrated repeatedly that electrons can be influenced to travel in a beam if they're shot through a vacuum and aimed with a properly shaped magnetic field. Uh, did any of that mean anything to either one of you? No. Sure. Shut up. Glass vacuum tube. Now, the beam of electrons is aimed at lines of phosphor dots, magnetic fields of precise shape, strength, and duration. I understood the words tube and dots. Um, okay, let's start at the beginning. Uh, an electron behaves in the following manner. You're saying that you can send a photograph from here to there electronically? Philo gets out from under the hood. I can, but that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I can send a live, moving image from here to there electronically. Well, I wouldn't say it out loud to that many people, but for the sake of amusing myself, how far and how fast? As far as you want and roughly at the speed of light. Philo turns the key and the engine starts. I also adjusted your carburetor. Garel looks at Philo, then reaches in and turns off the car. We don't have $20,000. We don't. We don't have $20,000, but we do have $3,000 earmarked, sure. Leslie, for an endeavor. Well, 3000 would. No. I say we take him to see Crocker. No. Crocker likes science. He loves science. He funded the radiation lab up there where they're doing cancer research. Your thing, what are you calling it? Television. It's from the Greek word for... Does it prevent cancer? No. Then no. Well, they're going any- we're going there anyway. We can take him with us and arrange a meeting. <sighs> you fixed our car, and you know a lot of big words, most of which I think you're making up. But I'll spring for a train ticket and arrange the meeting. Great. And that's it. Where are we going? San Francisco to see William Crocker. Lights change to the meeting room. Now, Everson and Gorell knew Crocker because he was a regional director for Community Chest, and he'd made a hobby out of funding scientific research, which he could afford to do because he was also the president of Crocker First National Bank. Oh, and his family built the Union Pacific Railroad. Philo is making a presentation to Crocker and a couple of deputies, along with Everson and Gorell. He stands in front of a large chalkboard filled from edge to edge with various diagrams. It looks like future world. As he speaks, he's animated, like a teacher who loves teaching. He'd been given strict instructions by Gorell to keep it short. He'll try for 15 minutes, but no more than 20. He began his presentation exactly 10 a.m. and finished it at 10 minutes past two. Now... I need a lab space, a work table, a glass blower, and a high-quality vacuum pump. I need to make some precision tools. Any questions? 
the signal can only travel in a straight line, right? Yes, sir. How do you account for tall buildings, mountains, or the curvature of the Earth, for that matter? I, I can bounce a signal off a series of stationary balloons. Also, is working on television. There are five others that I know of. That I know of. Um, Paul Nipkow in Germany, John Baird in England, Herbert Ives at the Bell Lab, Ernst Alexanderson at GE, and a Russian named Vladimir Zwerkin, who's working at the Westinghouse Light Lab in Pittsburgh. Aren't you afraid they're going to beat you to it? No, sir. Why not? Because they were working on mechanical television, which involved spinning a wheel that had tiny holes in it. The problem was that to spin it fast enough to do anything, you need an engine you could run at the Formula One Grand Prix of Monaco. Mechanical television wasn't going to work, and Fonsworth knew that, and that's why he was working electric, electric, excuse me, he was working electronic television, which Zorkin and the rest of the team told me was never going to work, but which obviously did. Yeah, my guys may have called the putt a little early. You've just named five of the best minds in electricity. Yes, sir. I'm surprised they're sticking with it. Oh, fuck off. Didn't Dworkin file a patent application for an electronic system a while back? That's right, buddy. Yes, sir. Four years ago. Four years ago. Why wasn't it granted? It doesn't, it doesn't work. work. It doesn't matter. Why didn't it work? You've got to scan the image and break it down into lines. That's how it's going to happen. Any more questions? Mr. Crocker? Do you play a musical instrument? I'm sorry? Do you play a musical instrument of any kind? Yeah, yeah, I play the violin. No kidding, me too. Not well. My dad taught me a few songs when I was a kid, Turkey in the Straw, that sort of thing. You know, I never practiced much, but I like the lessons. Son, if you go out that door and make a left, that's my office. Would you wait there while we talk? Yes, sir. There's a violin back there. Feel free to fiddle around if you get bored. Philo exits. Not particularly credentialed in the field. No one's credentialed in the field. Well, what he's suggesting defies intuition. Silence, then. Why did you ask him if he played an instrument? struck by the number of times people who are this gifted in math and science also play music. I don't know, they just, they look at a staff, they look at an instrument, it just makes sense to them, they get it. All right, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna give him the money, half, $10,000 for the first six months, but he's gotta transmit a picture. If he does, he gets what he needs. If he doesn't, we shake hands and say better luck another day. Leslie, why don't you go get him? Hang on, Les. Bill, say it does work, and setting aside at the moment a home television system that may or may not work retails for $10,000, what do you imagine the practical application being? To say nothing of the marketable one. The practical and marketable applications of owning the patent on a device that would allow anyone access to all visual information in the world? I'm not sure. We'll think of something. Let's go get the kid. Gorel starts to head off stage, but gets stopped. They all get stopped by the sound of a Tchaikovsky violin concerto being played off stage. Yeah, it turns out Astro Boy was also a concert level violinist. Mr. Crocker? Yeah. Everson and I are in for $3,000.
Lights changed to outside Pem's house. He tried liquor for the first time when he was in the Navy because he was trying to fit in with guys who couldn't touch his IQ with two hands and a stepladder. So he was happy when Everson and Gorel produced a celebratory bottle of Bushmills on the train ride home. It was after midnight when the train pulled into Provo. But he got in his car and drove straight to the house of Elmer Gardner, who everyone called Penn, and began scouring the ground for a couple of small pebbles. Halo's drunk, is looking around dark while he's muttering to himself. Solder and solder and solder arm, filament, 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 and some kind of filament wires. Yeah, he'd been in love with Pam for six months since he, she scolded him for t- talking to a group of kids at her church about electromagnetics instead of talking to them about how Jesus once lived in Utah. When she asked him why he changed the topic, he said that he thought there was little evidence to support her theory. She smacked him. And then she kissed him. And I imagine he's been confused ever since. Varnish, I'm going to need coil wires, copper. These things are going to heat up. It's going to matter what kind of varnish. He loses his knees for just a second. Oh, all kinds of gravity. This area over here. She thought he was crazy, but she wanted to be with him no matter what absurd future he had in mind for electrons. Most important thing, your relationship with a glassblower. And how many people could say that? He tosses a pebble at a second floor window. He tosses another pebble. (laughs) The window opens and a tired man sticks his head out. Hello. Oh, oh, Mr. Gardner. What are you doing out there, son? I'm sorry, sir. I'm turned around. I thought that was Pem's window. It's pretty late. Mrs. Gardner joins her husband at the window. Hello. Oh, good, good evening, Mrs. Gardner. Sorry to wake you up. Don't be silly, dear. How did it go in San Francisco? It went very well. Uh, I just got back and I was hoping to speak back. The front door opens and Pam comes out in a bathrobe. Hello? Pam. Guess what? I parked right on your lawn. (laughs) Bill. Uh, What? That's not good? Are you drunk? Yeah, a little. Look. Mom, Dad, it's it's okay. Go to bed. There's a chicken in the icebox. Thank you, ma'am. This is Provo, Utah. How come anytime you're mad at me, you tell me where I live? Because this is Provo, Utah. I know that, Pem. My mail is delivered here. And since you've driven up on my lawn, drunk at one in the morning, and thrown rocks at my parents, is there anything else I do that annoys you? You will leave a cigarette burning in the ashtray without putting it out? So, like, a trail of smoke just kind of curls up to the ceiling for what seems like forever. That doesn't bother you? Not as much as you're telling me about it. Well, just put the cigarette out with commitment. Why are you here right now? I have two reasons, and they're both pretty good. Bill? The first is that Crocker is going to finance me. What? I'm going to build it. He's going to finance me. Oh, my God. (laughs) 
$10,000, but I have to get a picture in six months or that's it. Are you joking? Is this a joke? Because your jokes are stupid, Bill. It's real. And my jokes are simply way ahead of their time. Years from now, you're going to remember one of my jokes and you're going to laugh. <laughs> and you're going to... You're going to San Francisco? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to need your brother to come with me and help. And my sister. They're going to be thrilled when they hear the news. They're going to be... I, I can't believe it. Neither can I. What was the second one? The second one? You said there were two reasons you were here. What was the second one? Oh, I I don't remember. That's because you've been drinking. And we're in Provo, Utah, and... I know where we are. Can we prioritize? Fine. My point is this. I will be working all the time. I mean, I have six months to build the image dissector and the receiver, so I'll be in the lab the whole time with... You're gonna have a lab! (laughs) And I figure we'll be together in San Francisco. I mean, we'll be together. We'll have a small apartment, and I'll have a small salary, but we could... Wait, 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 wait a second. Sure. But why will I be in San Francisco? Oh, okay. Uh, Now I remember the second one. It was... Oh, you're... You're asking me to marry you. Yes. <laughs> I'm, yes. I, I'm, oh. yes, I am. Well? What? Pam rubs her eyes, bends over, and straightens back up in exasperation. Ask! Oh. Uh, will you marry? Yes. <laughs> she throws her arms around him and kisses him. Wait, wait, wait. When does the six months start? Oh, now. We're going to leave in the morning, and we're going to need your mom's chicken. To the patent pool! Here, here. Oh, here, here. Lights, <laughs> lights change to the RCA party. Music plays as cocktail party is underway for radio executives. A party at the Union Club celebrating the formation of the patent pool, a business arrangement between RCA, AT&T, and Westinghouse. Sarnoff hated being in business with AT&T because he hated the company's CFO, Walter Gifford. That's going to matter later. But for now, Sarnoff's consumed with giving people a reason to own a radio. Betty, a pretty woman in her early 20s, comes up to Sarnoff. Excuse me, Mr. Sarnoff? Yeah? I'm Betty Jordan. I'm from the GE Secretariat Pool, and they've assigned me to work with your group. Great. You know anything about prize fighting? I'm sorry? Boxing? No, sir. Bone up. Four weeks from now, we're going to broadcast a heavyweight title bout from Jersey City between Jack Dempsey and a Frenchman named Georges Carpentier. The signal is going to travel over 500 miles. That's West Virginia, Ohio, Delaware. We've got to get some radio sets where the people are. That's what we work on for a while. So, 7 a.m. tomorrow? Yes, sir. Welcome to radio. Jim Harvard calls over. David. Yes. I had lunch with Walter Gifford in the back room at Delmonico's. He tells me you're giving his station manager a hard time over 25 bucks. Jim, Walter Gifford runs his radio station like a whorehouse. You'd think he'd be more popular than that, wouldn't you? I wish it were a joke. His guy is on the air telling us it's gonna, probably going to rain on Friday. Then two minutes later, he's telling us to remember our umbrellas. And if we don't have one, we can pick one up at this place on Queens Boulevard. I do some checking, and yeah, 
The guy in the air got 25 bucks from the place in Queens to say the name of their store, and he did it another two times in the hour. Jim! I'll be right there. What's the problem? Well, first of all, now I don't know if it's really going to rain on Friday or not. A hundred people were listening. Look, give me three years. It'll be a hundred million. And then? Enjoy the party, David. It's a party. Credibility can't be regained. You lose it, and you're in the circus. Harvard walks away into the party. I like the circus. Everybody likes the circus. That's not... Ah, fuck it. Watch your language, Mr. Sarnoff. Lisette, who speaks with a light French accent, has come up behind Sarnoff with two drinks. Look, I'm sorry, honey. I didn't see you there. I was just talking to Jim. You are angry. Walter Gifford is allowing people to pay money to advertise during informational programs. How long is this feud going to go on? 17 years. Why? U.S. patents last 17 years. My darling, advertising during informational programming is not the reason you don't like Walter Gifford. I promise you, Liz, it's business and nothing else. I've been talking to Tatiana's workin. Her husband is working on a kinescope. That's right. What's a kinescope? It's, uh, well, I guess you'd have to call it what? A, a television receiver. It's like this radio receiver, but instead of receiving a sound wave, it receives a light image. Also, it doesn't work. What do you mean it receives a light image? Just what it sounds like. You're trying to transmit a picture. Well, I'm not. Zorkin is. And some guys in Europe, but it, it doesn't matter. You mean project an image? No, I mean transmit an image. You'd be standing in another room, and you could watch a kinesiscope and see this party. That's incredible. Yeah, except for one thing. What? It doesn't work. Will it? What? Work. With television? Yes. I don't see how, but if television gets invented, it's not going to be going to get invented by a guy at Westinghouse. It's going to get invented by RCA. Cliffy. Lights change to Green Street Lab. Murphy, Lopem, and Agnes are greeting Cliff with Stan waiting to be introduced. Phil. Hey, Pam. Hey, Agnes. We've been sweeping up the place. Welcome to your lab. Mr. Farnsworth, I'm Stan Willis. From Caltech. Uh, my Crocker's office hired me to help you. Well, I'll take care. I'll take all you can spare. When did you graduate? I haven't. I'm a junior. They're giving me class credit. Oh, okay. Well, that's my wife, Pam. Nice to meet you. Yeah. And her brother, uh, Cliff Gardner, and that's my sister, Agnes. How do you do? Oh, nice to meet you. How did I beat you here? We had car trouble. What happened? Agnes drove into a salt flat. You were yammering about birdseed. I was yammering about bird's eye. Clarence Bird's Eye, Stan. Did you see it in the paper today? Yeah. (laughs) This guy is going to flash freeze vegetables. Freeze them in an instant so they'll retain their cellular structure. Oh, who cares? Anyone who eats food. You know, Phil, 
Should I ask him now? Go ahead. What? Pem said you're going to need glass tubes. And since money's tight, I thought I could teach myself how to make them and maybe cut out the expense of a glass blower. I want to be a part of this, Phil. I'm not smart enough to, you know, I'm not like you. You're plenty smart. But I can learn how to make glass tubes. Glass blowing's hard and it's dangerous. These guys apprentice for a long time and I'm looking for them to make me one that's gonna be hard to make. Merlin Hahn enters. Mr. Farnsworth? You are gonna be a part of it. Yes. I'm Harlan Hahn. I'm in the lab next door. Oh, nice to meet you. I'm working on new methods of refrigeration. What's wrong with the old methods? If it leaks, there's a risk to consumers that they might die from the poisonous gas that's emitted. Oh, well, you better get on that then. Uh, Hey, Stan, do you have a place to live? I was just going to get a room down at the Y. We're going to rent an apartment across the bay. Uh, Why don't you stay with us and save a couple of bucks? Oh, gee, thanks. Oh, is that okay? You betcha, Phil. Just me, you, my brother, your sister, and the junior from Caltech. Aggie, let's go find a four-bedroom apartment for $30 a month. Hey, see if you can, you can find Shut one. Shut up. Happens. You bet. Feminine Agnes exit. Well, if you need anything, I'm in the lab next door. Uh, if you need any equipment or another pair of hands. I wouldn't want to distract you from what you're doing. Refrigeration? Please, distract me. Harlan exits. Okay. Uh, Stan, what do you know about moving pictures? Mm-hmm. I know a, a film projector has to move a series of photographs past the human eye at a speed of 16 frames per second uh, to fool the brain into thinking it's watching fluid motions. Yeah. We're going to try something a little different. You need to get us a generator, Cliff. Uh, Cliff and I are going to start building a lab. So now he's got his team. His brother-in-law, a 19-year-old kid, and a refrigerator repair. I mentioned this because 50 PhDs at Bell, AT&T, and Westinghouse told me that what was about to happen was impossible. United States Patent Application 1773 980, made by Philo T. Farnsworth of Berkeley, California. Now, while we watch Philo, Cliff, Stan, Harlan, Pem, and Agnes come off and on assembling various parts of the lab, which is getting more and more crowded, lights come up on a chorus of cast members reciting sections of Philo's patent application. They should speak over one another, sometimes three or four or five voices at once, but we're not going to do it like that because it's Zoom. This apparatus relates to the apparatus and process for the transmission of a moving image to a distance. The transmission is by electricity. Heretofore, attempts have been made to transmit an image. These prior attempts have generally embodied a method or apparatus. In which each particular element area. That the human eye will retain a picture is of such short duration that the conversion of the light shades of the original image of the object electricity and the reconversion of electricity to light cross-section of such electronic discharge from the place in which each portion of the cross-section will correspond in, in in electrical intensity with intensity of light imposed on developed fluctuating in intensity to the variations of the light current transmitted without the necess- 
necessity. Figure, figure two is a diagrammatic view of the television receiver. Figure three is... Figure 16 is a perspective view of a biaxial crystal showing the refraction of... Figure 22. Figure 31. Figure 45. In testimony whereof I have heretofore set my hand, Philo T. Farnsworth. All right. Let's try it. Stan flips a toggle and boom, the whole thing blows up in an electrical surge. Cliff, Stan, Harlan, and Everson and Goral come to, who come to watch the equipment test jump back immediately. Philo doesn't move. He just stands expressionless. Harlan and Cliff grab buckets of sand and throw it on the small fire that started while Stan, go, Stan goes to the generator. Uh, it, it was a, a power surge, Bill? It was the generator? Yeah, the one thing in the room they hadn't built from scratch. It was the generator? I am sorry, sir, that, that, that was me. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it? Do you have anything to show for our money? But the table works. You have five weeks left. Everson and Gorel exit. All right, all right well... <sighs> We'll fix the generator, but once we do, is there a photoelectric material that's a better conductor than potassium? Sodium. We tried sodium. Topaz? No. No. Could we use willemite? I was thinking of cesium. Yeah, but where are we going to get it? Don't they use cesium pellets in the tubes that they put in radio kits? That way, in that you see in the Sears robot catalog, like little cesium pellets. I they do. I have one, but they're tiny. Yeah, we're gonna have to go. Yeah, we're gonna have to go to, to every hobby store in the city and buy every radio kit they've got. They spent all day buying radio kits, then all night smashing the tubes open with the hammer, emptying the pellets out and grinding them into a paste. The change to cesium was going to help, but. The selenium hadn't been his problem, and he knew that. His problem was that no one had been able to build him the glass tube that he wanted. He'd be through five different glass blowers. Two of them produced tube after tube that broke apart the moment they cooled. Two others turned down the job outright, and the fifth was doing the best that he could. It was after midnight, and Crocker was coming to the lab the next morning. His six months were up. He sat on the roof of the glass and a bottle of Bush Mills. Lights up on roof where Philo is standing. Cesium will spend a, send a spray, maybe manipulated through rubidium. Bill, you out there? Yeah. Pem comes out on the roof. You want anything? No, thanks. You want your violin? No, I'm fine. You want to hear something funny? Bill Crocker says there's a correlation between music and science. Music is what mathematics does on a Saturday night. Stan and Harlan are in there trying to rebuild it again. We don't have it. We will. Not by tomorrow morning. Then you'll get more money from someone else. This isn't the end. I'm, I'm sure you're right. But if it doesn't work... I'm not going to make love to you until it does. Philo smiles. No, I'm serious. Phil! Then I'm screwed. Not until you get a picture. You're not, so let's go.
Lights up on lab. Phil! Stan and Harlan are looking at something with great interest as Cliff stands nearby and Philo and Pem come in from the roof. What are you guys doing? I think you better look at this. What is it? Cliff made it. You made this? Stan holds out a glass tube and Philo looks at it. He let me watch for a few weeks and then he showed me some things and he talked about what was needed and, and what it was and... Yeah. <sighs> Phil. Oh, sorry. When did I do this? Oh, uh, the first time. Oh, sorry. When no did you good. do this? <laughs> uh, but I did this one yesterday, and, and then I let it cool. I, I did it during lunches. At, Phil? Uh, <sighs> Cliff made a cathode tube. This is the one we're using. We got to tear this thing apart and rebuild it again. Uh, you know there won't be time to test it before they, they get here in the morning. Have any of the tests worked? No. Then what does it matter? Let's go. A sound cue, a low pulsing tension building beat begins underneath. Harlan bumped into the camera, right? Yeah. He ended up aimed at the drafting table? Yeah. And then had been making notes in the lab notebooks the desk lamp was on. Yeah. That's pretty good luck. You think I got lucky? No. I didn't think so. Rell's wondering if they're ready. Are we ready? In a second. The room was divided in half by a black curtain. On one side was the camera aimed at a triangle on a rod, which would swing back and forth like a pendulum to demonstrate motion. On the other side was the curtain, of the curtain, was a receiver. The triangle and the camera are off stage. Crocker and his lieutenants Atkins and Wilkins are as well as Everson, Goral, Harlan, Cliff, and Stan are beginning to gather near the television set. A photographer joins the group. The pulsing sound continues to build. Good luck. Pam comes over and joins her husband. The triangle's moving. Harlan comes in. The triangle's moving? Yeah, but, but listen. Please interrupt oh, me. Yeah, sorry. Listen. Uh, gentlemen, the triangle I showed you before is moving now. You can go to the other side of the curtain if you want to take a look. Yeah. Listen. What? What? Nothing. Harlan had bumped into the image dissector while he was back there setting the triangle. He tried to check for damage, but there wasn't time. That's what he was trying to tell him. Stan? He started the current. It's going to warm up a second. The pulsing continues to build. And the viewing screen filled with electronic fog. Harlan and Stan look at each other and drop their heads in disappointment. Nothing. Nothing but the electronic fog and a cloudy, wavy line running up the middle. After a moment. Uh, uh, Atkins. Damn. It was a good effort, son. You've got nothing to be ashamed of. He's right, Phil. You gave it a good shot. He wasn't hearing them, though. He was just staring at the electronic fog with the cloudy, wavy line running up the middle. Phil. Hang on. Philo's moving closer to the screen. He sees something. I bumped the camera before. Hang on. Look, when I was back there setting the triangle, I turned and my back hit the... 
Hang on. I'm sure I hit the image dissector. Something could have come loose. If everybody can stay for a little while, we can... Pam! He's right. If he knocked something loose... Did, did you leave a cigarette burning in the ashtray on the drafting table? What? Did you leave a cigarette burning in the ashtray? Well, what did, does it matter if I did? Philo runs yeah. off stage, then sees, then sees something, then runs back on. You didn't break it, Harlan. You moved it. Wait. That's the smoke. What? What? That wavy line. That line? <laughs> That's the That's smoke? the smoke. Hang on. Crocker goes off stage, comes back, and looks at the screen. <laughs> it is. Oh, my God. Be goddamned. It, it is. That's the cigarette. Leslie, look at this. That's the cigarette smoke. Oh, my God. Cliff, we got a picture. And now the place has erupted into whoops and hollers and applause. Oh. People are going off stage and coming back to check the <laughs> Clapping each other on the back. We got a picture! Oh, Phil! <laughs> he hugs and kisses him. Showing off for women for women is a powerful incentive. <laughs> <clears throat> there it is. Look at that. That's a goddamn television picture. <laughs> Mr. Barnesworth. Yeah? Face swap, please, for San Francisco Chronicle. Boom. He flashes a picture and the stage goes black except for a pin spot on Philo. We hear a radio voice. Razorblade, Michigan Pattern X, $1.85. The Jack Dempsey, George Carpentier title was billed as a battle between good and evil, with Carpentier being good and Dempsey being evil. I can't remember why. Fulton Razorblade, double bid, Michigan Pattern X, $2.40. It didn't matter. Dempsey would win in a late round knockout. What mattered was that this was the first sporting ever event ever broadcast and radio was about to get launched like a Hercules rocket, which you'd think would make Sarnoff happy since he was the mastermind behind every square inch of it. Fulton's Hunter's Hatchet, 95 cents. Lights change to RCA conference room. Sarnoff, along with Watchdale Sims and a few other executives, are listening to a radio commercial. He's not happy, though, because right now he's listening to Walter Gifford's radio, which at the moment is broadcasting... Halo points. Handy handsaw, 24 inches, $2.35. Universal fuse plugs made to fit all universal hollow wear, $1.10. All this at Robinson's Family Hardware, located at 77th Street of Broadway, open six days from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Fulton perforated Lance Tootsaw. How long does this go on? Ten minutes. Lufkin flatten three quarter inch and half inch. He's selling ten minute blocks of time for fifty dollars. I asked him not to do that. You asked him not to have his people take money under the table. Did he think that meant I wanted him to take it over the table? Well, it's his station, David. He can. Hang on. Reversible type handle ratchet winch, seventy five cents. You know, if you listen carefully. You can hear the sound of people throwing the radio sets out the window, buying a phonograph and shooting me in the fucking head. General purpose wheelbarrow. You can't do this, fellas. It's not what it's for. Damn. If only there was a a powerful person in broadcasting with the courage of his convictions who could do something about this. Well, I assume that was meant for me there, Billy Bob. So I'll just say that I spent more time and effort than anyone 
ever trying to make television and radio informative, entertaining, and sophisticated. Job well done. The picture you got was of no practical value. You needed too much light. Yeah, the first time Orville and Wilbur flew Kitty Hawk, it went about 17 feet, but I think they were pretty happy it did. There was no way it was going to get approved by the, Commer the Commerce Department for commercial use in the state. It was not going to happen. <sighs> Worrigan didn't have a picture at all. He solved your light problem. He solved your light problem, and he filed a patent four years earlier. And can somebody tell me what the fuck you've got in a hardware store you need 10 minutes to sell me? Is there clairvoyance in the store? All this at Robinson's Family Hardware Store, located at 77th and Broadway. Harvard enters. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Tex Rickards promoting the fight as good versus evil. Which one is which? Jack Dempsey's evil. Wife beater. Draft dodger. That's why. That's why. I couldn't remember why. <laughs> Plus he's got that face. And Carpentier's our hero. French fighter pilot. He speaks French. He is French. A French fighter pilot versus the Manhattan Mauler. Manasseh. He's the Manasseh Mauler. Manasseh, Colorado. Jim, we got a problem. Hang on. Is this signal going to travel 500 miles? Is this confirmed? A 50,000 watt transmitter that was going by train to the Navy Department in D.C. was diverted to a Lakawa to a Lackawanna Railroad shed a tenth of a mile from the arena. Who got that done? Sarnoff. Jim. JP's daughter, Anne Morgan. She was recruited to set up charity events all up and down the coast. They write a check to a good cause. They come to a house and have champagne and oysters and listen to the fight on the radio. All in, we're expecting 200,000 people to be listening. Broadcast is going to make us bigger than Westinghouse, David. What do you have to say for yourself? I just listened to 10 minutes of information about a hardware store on wheat. That's Somewhere. small potatoes. No, no, no. It's a very big potato. It's Gifford Station. Leave him alone. It's our equipment, which no one will buy if the airways are filled with the price of a three-quarter inch drill bit. We're going to be responsible for entertaining and informing a nation. We don't have an engineer in Shaxon or an executive in New York who knows anything about that. David. We need to create a new company, Jim, a subdivision. The American Radio Group or the, the Public Radio Network, something. And bring in people who are experts at reporting information and events, experts in education, culture, public affairs, leaders in forming opinions. What? Taste. Who, who, who gets the final call on what public taste should be? To say nothing of education and information. We do this right. It's us. Let's get through the Manasseh Mahler and then we can talk about being tastemakers. Thank you. David, would you stay a moment? Yes, sir. As the room begins clearing, Saranoff scribbles something on his legal pad and slides it down the table. Jerry. Do me a favor. Just for the hell of it, ask legal to run a clearance on the trademark and see if anyone's using it. Sure. 
He'd scribbled some names on the pad. American Radio Group, American Radio Network, Public Radio Corporation. But he'd crossed these out. On the bottom of the page, he'd circled his winner, the National Broadcasting Company. The room is empty now, except for Sarnoff and Harvard. All right. What's your beef with Walter Gifford other than the obvious? It's got nothing to do with that. It's business. Good. But AT&T's got to get out of radio. Gifford's not going to take a back seat to RCA. I don't want them to take a back seat. I want them to get out of the car. David. Let me buy the audition tube. The audio tube. It costs too much money. It's going to make more. It's going to replace the crystal, and it's what's going to make music sound good. We'll control it. We'll have to, we'll have to control the patents, and we shouldn't be paying royalties. We should be collecting them. The next time you talk to Gifford, and I think it should be soon, you got to make it clear. I won't be talking to Gifford. Why not? All the rumors you've heard are true. They've been talking to me for weeks, and they made it official last night. Are you going to go work for Herbert Hoover? I would not. Okay. Congratulations, Jim! Well, you're going to want to try not to screw that up. Yeah. Well, who's taking your place? With Ted? I, should, I think you should think about Charles. It's you. You're being named at a press conference on Monday. Sarnoff is frozen. What? You're going to want to try not to screw that up. Harvard exits, passing Lisette on her way to the conference room. Afternoon, Lisette. Good afternoon, Mr. Hubbard. David? Liz? Are we still having lunch? Huh? David, is everything all right? Yeah. I'm, I'm the president of RCA. It was a significant accomplishment. After three weeks in his new job, it was time to take a meeting. Betty? Yes, sir? I'd like you to set up a lunch with uh, Walter Gifford. Yes, sir, at his earliest convenience? No, I, I don't care if it's convenient. Lights change to restaurant. A power lunch spot is filled with Manhattan's top executives. Good afternoon, Mr. Sarnoff. Good afternoon, Tony. Mr. Gifford's already here. Thank you. Dry martini. Thank you very much. Sarnoff goes to Gifford's table and sits. David. Walter. I was going to give you another two minutes and then order lunch. I apologize. If you're going to be a captain of industry, you're going to have to learn that captains of industry don't like to wait for their fucking wives, much less the guy who's been president of RCA for three weeks. I was tuned into your radio station just last night. I'm glad to hear it. There was a man named H.M. Blackwell, and he was identified as a representative of the Queensboro Corporation. I got to tell you, David, originally I'm ordinarily I'm not someone who gets summoned to lunch meetings. This guy, Blackwell... He chatted about the carefree life in the suburbs, free from the hustle of the city. Yeah. And ended by urging us to hurry to the apartment house near the Greenfields for the community life and friendly atmosphere that Nathaniel Hawthorne advocated. What can I do for you? You know the name of the apartment house near the Greenfields. David. Hawthorne Estates, I believe. An apartment complex owned by... Oh, stop. Stop. The Queensboro Corporation. It wasn't a direct pitch. I lost my device. 
Page 51. Sorry about that, folks. Ba -ba 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 -bum. Okie doke. Can you give that to me again? It wasn't a direct pitch. It wasn't a direct pitch. Um, it's page 48 of the PDF. It's page 51 that on helps. the... Thank you. Yes. Uh, well, set aside he was blowing Nathaniel Hawthorne all to hell. You don't think people know when they're being sold an apartment to Jackson Heights? You got a 13-year-old girl from Wilkes Bar singing Jerome Kern. I like Jerome Kern. Well, so do I. And I think other people will too if his songs are sung by singers. What the hell is this lunch about? It's a courtesy. You're being courteous right now. Yes. How? By telling you in person that your company isn't in the radio business anymore. How are you going to swing that? I already did. Your boss is getting 10% of RCA preferred stock. What's RCA getting? The audience tube. You bought the audience tube? Yes. You gave away 10% of your company for the audience tube? I'll tell you, it would have been a real steal at twice that price. <laughs> what are you saying? You're saying you're saying you're not gonna license it out? That's what you're saying now? Well, of course we're gonna license it out. Good. Just not to you. I'll take this to an arbitrator. Well, I know you will. You're a cocksucker. I have been told that before. You think if radio's bad once in a while that people won't start listening? That's your nightmare? I don't know which is my nightmare. That radio's bad and people don't start listening or that radio's bad and they do. Either way, I'll take my chances with the arbitrator. All right. David? Yes. David? Yes, sir. I don't like the publicity, David. Is there... Any way to avoid that? Sure. I'm serious. Uh, me too. We can uh, fix it up right now and everybody's happy and I license you the audience tube and you keep your stations. We can do it right now if it's that simple. How? Give me the name of one Jew who works at AT&T. Gifford stares at him. One Jew? Anywhere. Doesn't have to be an executive. Bookkeeping, the switchboard, I don't know. This lunch is over. Gifford exits. The waiter comes over and sets Sarnoff's martini down. Thank you. You can take Mr. Gifford's drink. He won't be back. Yes, sir. Will you be staying? Yeah. I'm not going anywhere. In fact, he was just getting warmed up. He bought the Audion tube. He bought the frequency modulation band from the great Edwin Armstrong. And he launched the NBC radio network. He dictated memo after memo and gave speech after speech discussing the civic responsibilities, responsibilities of the custodians of mass communication. When you can... office where he's dictating to Betty. When you can transmit the human voice into the home. When you can make the home attuned to what is going on in the rest of the world. You've tapped a new source of influence and the possibility that we can raise ourselves up culturally spiritually, intellectually, and economically. It is my regrettable, regrettable obligation to tell you that RCA does not own the airwaves. We hear an appreciative laugh and the applause as the lights change to podium, where Sarnoff is delivering a speech. We don't own the airwaves anymore. 
that we own the air and it's only a matter of time before somebody taps Congress on the shoulder and reminds them of that. And friends, that's going to be bad for business. Radio stations should be run like public libraries. And anyone who knew anything was buying RCA stock. RCA is up a point and a half. RCA stock sets a new record. 64 and 3 eighths. It's 71 and 3 eighths. General Motors puts radios in cars. I sold it at 77. It's up to 85. 91. 93. $97 a share. Up two points. Up three and a half. $129. If you'd invested $10,000 in RCA the day before the Dempsey fight, three, three years later, you'd be a millionaire. When his bosses at GE showed him the plans for the new office space in the Art Deco building being reconstructed at 30 Rockefeller Center, Sarnoff took a red pen and circled a wing of offices on a particular floor that would be used for his team. He called it Radio City. We would acquire all the assets of Victor Talking Machines. Lights changed to conference room. A meeting is underway. Including your manufacturing plant in Camden, which we would annex your own and uh well should go without saying that we're also acquiring the the dog the dog what's his name Nicker. people have confidence in the dog once a week a junior executive named ridley would run to a newsstand on lexington Ave- avenue that sold out-of-town newspapers on this day, he drops a quarter in a dish and picks up the Chicago Daily News, the Washington Evening Star, the Philadelphia Ledger, and a week-and-a-half-old copy of the San Francisco Chronicle. Lights change to Sarnoff's office. Ridley enters with a paper. Betty. You're out of breath. Oh, I ran here. What's the matter? I need to see him. He's just getting out of a meeting with the guys from Victor. What in the world has happened? Uh, a guy in San Francisco. Betty. David, the newspaper. It's done. We've got a phonograph company. There's an item on the front page of the San Francisco Chronicle. No, listen to this. The symbol is going to be a dog who thinks he hears his master's voice coming from a gramophone. A guy named Philo Farnsworth. Calm down. A guy named Philo Farnsworth. What's the name? Philo. Spell it. P-H-I-L-O. He's been working on television. Well, who isn't? No, he's been working on electronic television. Well, let me know when he gets a picture, because Zorkin says he can't, can't be done. He's been trying most of his life. Why is the San Francisco Chronicle interested in this guy anyway? He got a picture. And now we start to hear the same low, slow-building, pulsing sound that was under the scene where Philo got the first picture. What are you talking about? Philo hands him the paper. Sarnoff reads. The pulsing continues. Betty, get the department heads here. Engineering, commercial, legal. Get the patent cops. Yes, sir. When? Now, Betty, the goddamn paper's a week old. Lights change to the conference room, where the department heads are entering. Well, the way I read it, Farnsbrook's asking for proprietary status on three separate patents. Farnsworth. Philo Farnsworth. First is for something called an electric oscillator system. The second is for what he's calling an image dissector, and the third is for the television receiving system. You're worrying about nothing, David. My laboratory, at the present time, I have a system 
in operation, which requires a wave band and only six kilocycles to carry an image from the transmitter to the receiver, Mr. Farnsworth continued. Much ado about nothing. It is perfectly possible to reduce this wave band to five kilocycles, which can be sent out by regular broadcasting stations. I expect the receiving device will be able to be sold at retail for under $300. How, how is it possible? I mean, I mean, how is it fucking possible that RCA is finding out about this from the, the San Francisco Chronicle? David, it's well, how not... long before the Com Commerce Department approves it for commercial use? This is what I'm trying to tell you. It's a very weak picture he got. And to get a stronger one, he'd need lights too hot to. Yeah, but that's just engineering, right? Maybe. I mean, he could have a practical picture in a year. He's got very serious light problems to solve. And I'm asking, isn't that just engineering? And how long will it take to, you know? An underfunded, understaffed, ill-educated Mormon in a one-room lab? Well, he got this far somehow. He didn't build the thing out of Bibles and moonshine. Howard, is there any part of the television operating system he's not going to own the exclusive rights to? He made the console out of pine. Well, so you're saying he's not going to own the patent on wood? Well, why don't we make him an offer on it? We can't. Why not? We can't. David. If we make him an offer, it means he invented the television. It means he invented the television. <sighs> offer him a hundred thousand, offer it to him in stock, he'll take it. He, he might, but if he doesn't, that's the ball game. And a year from now, when he solves whatever problem he's having with light and the thing gets approved for sale, he's going to own General Electric and anything else he wants to buy. We, we can't buy a system because that means he invented it. And, and we did it. We, we did. It's just that ours doesn't work yet. Howard, if Zorskin can get a good picture before Farnsworth, if he can get it first, can he revisit his 1923 patent application and seek priority of invention? Yeah. What's our budget for television research? $50,000. Okay. Give Zorkin 200000 double the staff. Call our people at Corning and tell him he gets all the glass he needs. David, can I say something, please? Before we start doing things that might make us look foolish in the eyes of, oh, at the very least, our shareholders. Hmm? It's a gadget, it's a politic for a couple of rich people and something you, you show at the World's Fair. You're wrong. The thing's a monstrosity, David. It's huge and unsightly. Think of a person's home. Where the hell are they going to put it? They used to put the radio. Oh, all right, that, that's all. Everyone exits. Betty enters. Can I get you anything? When it rains, it pours, Betty. I'm sorry? Gifford's going to sue us in federal court. I have a hunch the court's going to end up calling our patent pool by a different name. What are they going to call it? An illegal monopoly. And a report from the Treasury Department says that as of today, most people have invested in radio that own that, that invested in radio that own radios. What does that mean? It means our stock might be overvalued and headed for what's called an adjustment. A little like the adjustment the French gave the Louis the sixteenth. I'm sorry, you came in here and you asked me something. Just if I could get you anything. No, thank you. You can go home. You know. For what it's worth, my father used to say when a string of things went bad, he used to say, well, at least you know nothing's going to happen next. Betty exits. Sarnoff's now standing alone in the same pool of light that he was at the beginning of the play. 
And I remember thinking that was funny because my father used to say something always happens next. Curtain, end of act one. Act two, light comes up on Philo as the scrim rises. This is a true story. Early on the morning of October 29th, 1929, a huge flock of blackbirds and starlings in the middle of their migratory route south landed in front of City Hall Plaza in New York. They actually stopped traffic on 4th Avenue for five minutes. When the flock took off again, about a hundred of the group lay dead on the street from starvation and exhaustion. The birds would end up having a better day than the rest of the country. Lights up on the New York Stock Exchange phone bank. We hear the din of the stock exchange about to begin its trading day. A man is on a wall phone. Here's how it works. This man is a firm clerk. It's one minute before the trading begins, and he's on the phone with a broker at his firm. A customer wants to sell all 500 shares of his stock in Montgomery Ward. The firm clerk takes the order and passes it to one of the firm's floor traders. We're watching all of this happen. It's been a very bad week for the New York Stock Exchange, as the Dow Jones has lost 10% of its value in just four days. There are strict rules on the trading floor. No running, pushing, cursing, and suit coats. suit coats must be worn at all times. 20 minutes from now, those rules will go out the window. But right now, it's 30 seconds before the start of the trading, and our floor trader has made it over to the section of the 16,000-square-foot floor where retail stocks are being traded, and it goes to the Montgomery Ward Post. We start to hear the pulsing sound. At the Post is, at the post is the specialist for Montgomery Ward. His job is to match sellers with buyers and establish the strike price. There, that's somewhere between the ask and the offer. 15 seconds till the market opens. And the pulsing starts to build. This does not have Are anything up? to do with, yeah. Hey, so what's, the, what's, the, what's the page, guys? 62? Uh, 62 in the text. 59 PDF. Thank you. This keeps on... That doesn't have anything to do with anything. Yes, it does, sir. Phil? Excuse me, this is my turn. Go ahead, relive the damn thing. Now, in that phone call, the clerk asked the broker, the clerk asked the broker if he had a limit price, and the broker said, sell it at market, which means get whatever you can for it. And that's because after the last four days, there, there, there are a lot more sellers than buyers. Now, when there are more sellers than buyers and the men are no longer required to wear suit coats, I don't need to tell you what happens next. Ready? Ding, ding, ding. Selling 500 shares of Montgomery Ward. I'm taking 82. What the hell are you talking about? Bobby. What the hell are you talking about? You closed at 97. I've got 25 sell orders at 82. Fuck, Tony, we opened 10 seconds ago. These guys are pretty tired from spending the past four days losing other people's money. And now that floor trader has got a decision to make. He can go back to the phones, call the broker, and tell him the market price on Montgomery Ward's a lot lower than they're thinking, but that'll cost him a few minutes, and it could cost the customer a few thousand dollars. He was told to sell it at the market. Nobody wants to be at the beginning of an avalanche, but better that, better that than at the end of one. Phil. The Cossacks are coming again, David. All right. Selling 500 shares at Montgomery Ward at $82 a share. And with that, the other traders around the pit, convinced that the price is only going in one direction, begin shouting. Selling 2,000 shares at 81. Selling. Get me 79. 79. 1,500 shares at 78. I'll, I'll take 78. Give me 77 and a half. 
The sales rep takes the order, puts it in the pneumatic tube system where it's sent to a repository at the center of the trading floor, and a teletype operator marks the price on the ticker wire. For anyone who understands what they're looking at, it only takes a minute to realize that something's gone terribly wrong. Lights up on Sarnoff's office, where Sarnoff has his team gathered at a ticker machine giving away their analysis, giving him their analysis. The volume. It's the volume of the trades, 45,000 shares of Anaconda Copper, 50,000 Standard Oil. I'm looking at it. I can't believe it. I'm adding this right. You are. 630,000 shares traded in the first 26 transactions. Where do we open? I'm... This morning, this morning, where did we open? 101. We closed at 118. Yeah. We, we dropped 17 points a share while we were sleeping? They're called air pockets. Betty! You can fall 15, 20, 25 points at a time before you find a buyer. Air pockets. Light the torches. Shut your mouth. Betty steps in. Yes, sir? Get me the chairman of the Federal Reserve. Lights up on a conference room. The Fed was already in an, in an impromptu emergency session. The discussion will be, do we lower the discount rate from six to five? We have to, sir. People are going to require liquidity to meet what we are going to be, what are going to be devastating margin calls. If we intervene and the market continues to die, then the Fed's going to seem impotent. We don't give a shit, Roy. This isn't an academic exercise. Confidence is being destroyed and fortunes are being lost. Oh, Jesus God, Don. Is the market crashing? Mr. Chairman, we ain't seen nothing yet. Lights on the trading floor. By noon, the floor was four inches thick with paper. Everywhere you turned, the names that built the 20th century were falling down around you. Union Carbide, Blue Ridge, Dow Chemical, ITT, U.S. Steel. Selling. 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 And if things couldn't get worse... The sound of the din and the pulse grows louder. The ticker is 88 minutes behind. The typist couldn't keep up with the orders. I said the ticker is 88 minutes behind. Clients are giving us sell orders based on what the market price was an hour and a half ago. The bankers are going to have to step up and roll back the margins. Guys, I'm getting killed out here. Lights up in a banker meeting. The heads of National Bank, Chase National Bank, Bankers Trust, and uh, Guarantee Trust are gathered at New York's biggest investment bank, the House of Morgan. If we go and buy. Thomas. If we buy. Listen to me. If we go in now and buy like crazy, it'll prop up confidence. Which is what Charlie Mitchell said last Thursday when he went in for U.S. Steel and got hit in the head with 100 tons of sheet metal. What about the calls? Gentlemen, what about the margin calls? People are going to get hurt. When you buy on margin, you're essentially taking out a loan. And if the stock price becomes impaired, falls below a certain point, the bank can call in the loan. So every broker in New York is trying to call every client in the, co- in the country to tell them not only is their investment gone, but they actually owe money to a bank. It's a margin call, Lewis. You owe your account $8,000. Lewis, you understand? There's nothing left and you owe the bank $8,000. I, I don't understand. How do they expect me to? They're going to take your house. Clang, 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 clang. See how I ended that, David? With the metaphor of the house. It was exquisitely subtle. Phil, are we done? No. We got to check the scoreboard. 24 hours earlier, RCA was worth $118 a share. What are you worth now? 
Starting off is sifting with, through the ticker tape while a few executives stand by. The pulsing continues, though it got much slower and deliberate when the trading was rung to a close above. David? Sarnoff's looking, looking, looking. 42. The pulsing is now dense. He predicted a price adjustment, but nothing like that. He was also right about the federal courts busting the patent pool as an illegal monopoly. He was going to have to make some concessions in the settlement, one of which was that there'd be no more horseshit rules about advertising over the airwaves. It's every station owner for himself, and you got a problem with that, you can drag someone else's ass into the woodshed because your stock's at 42 and you're done. That's not what happened. You needed to pull a rabbit out of a hat. That's not what happened. What am I getting wrong? I was already giving Zorkin 200000 a year for research. I was already giving him a staff the size of- And he wasn't getting anywhere. And the market crashed right on your face and you had to let the station owners sell time on the news and you'd had it. Zorkin's not getting anywhere. Enough. Go to his lab. That's not why it happened. What? Why? What? Why? What happened? That's not why what happened, David. It's called opposition research. It's called corporate espionage, isn't it? Pretty low-tech espionage, wouldn't you say? I would. Did he come in disguise, Phil? Did he come in a disguise? No. Did he give you a false name? No. He told you his name? I knew his name. Did he break into your lab? I think we've been through this enough. How did he get into your lab? I invited him. And up in the lab... I'm not a professional witness anymore. I don't... Did he hit you over the head? Did he, did he drug you? Did he do something while your back was turned? No. Don't casually accuse me of theft. I'm going to accuse you of whatever I want, but if you think I'm doing it casually, you're out of your mind. You sent him to my lab. It wasn't like it was a secure area. Scientists aren't supposed to operate in secret. You share as much information as you can. You were eager to show him. I had a light problem. No, you had a huge light problem. If you had it, it would have been, it would have been done by it would have been done by now. If you hadn't, you would have owned television. If you hadn't, somebody somewhere, anybody, anywhere. I really ended up in your nightmares, didn't I? I sleep fine. How did you know where I was? What? How did he know where? Your lab was at 202 Green Street. He told the cab driver, take me to 202 Green Street. I wasn't at the lab when we met. How did he know where I'd be? Because he'd become a fairly famous guy in San Francisco. All the papers carried the story when he got the first picture, but it was almost two years later, and he still couldn't get an image that was worth anything without focus, focusing an impractical amount of light on the object. He was understandably obsessed with finding an answer and had taken a sleeping just two or three hours a night on a cot in a storage room. He had a son now, Kenny, who was 20 months old. And every night around midnight, when the other would go home to catch him sleep, he built Kenny a toy in his lab. One night, he built him a sundial that would tell him, that would tell him time on the moon. Told him they'd be able to use it one day. Lights up on Philo's lab. Everson, Garrell, Stan, Harlan, and Agnes are waiting. Now, Crocker, Everson, and Gorell had lost faith and money and were looking to sell the Farnsworth Television Company. And on this morning, Philo was supposed to demonstrate television to the owners of United Artists. Everson and Gorell were desperate to make a good impression, and it wasn't going to happen. Frank Fairbucks and Pickford are led in by Cliff. Good morning. I'm George Everson. Good 
Joseph Schenk. It's nice to meet you. I'm Mary Pickford, and this is Doug. Of course, it's a pleasure. Uh, Leslie Gorell. Good morning. Please thank Bill Crocker for arranging this. No, it's our pleasure. Uh, Philo should be here at any moment. You met Cliff, and uh, this is Mr. Farnsworth's sister, Agnes. Uh, hello. How do you do? Nice to meet you. He should be out in just a moment. We're very excited. There's an awkward silence then. This is uh, Stan Willis. Hello. 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 And Harlan Hahn. Hello. Good to see you. Hi. Harlan's been doing some incredible things with refrigeration. They don't care. I, I thought while they were waiting, they might like to hear about. Brian, no. Agnes, would you go back and get your brother? Yeah, uh, I'm sure he's just making some last minute tube adjustments. That's uh, adjustments to the, the tube. We got that, mm. Agnes. Could you please? Lights changed to storage room. A small room with a cot, a bottle of Bushmills, and a glass sit nearby. Phil. Phil. And the cot pops up. Philo's been sleeping under it. Ow. Picking up a bottle and stowing it. They're here. Who? The people. Uh, now? Yes, they're in the lab. Straighten yourself up. Uh, when are they getting here? No, they're here. Right, you just said that. You're drunk. No. Yes, yes I am. God. We've got to make a fast one today. We've, we have a, uh, what's the woman's name again? Mary Pickford. Pickford, got it. Yeah, she's just the most famous woman in the world, so there's really no reason you would have heard of her. I didn't say I hadn't heard of her. I just didn't know it was her that was coming today. Why were you under the cot? I don't know, but that's not an unreasonable question. Pickford? Yes. Lights change back to the lab as Philo and Agnes come in. Good morning, everyone. I'm sorry, I'm Philo Farnsworth. Uh, Phil, this is Joe Shank. Nice to meet you. This is the lab gang. Jim's come in from the front. Excuse me. And that is my wife, Pem. Nice to meet you. Likewise. Pam, this is Mary Pickford. Oh, I'm a great admirer. Aren't you sweet? And of course, a man who needs no introduction, Mr. Charlie Chaplin. Were you talking about me? Yes. I'm Doug Fairbanks. Philo. Damn it. Of course you are, and you are wonderful. I apologize, Mr. Chaplin, Mr. Uh, Fairbanks. I've stepped off the edge of the world. Chaplin's shorter and considerably more talented. Charlie did want to be here today, but he's on a scoring stage. Why don't we start the demonstration? Yes, for the love of everything holy. Sure. 
I'm sorry, Phil? Now? Yes. Excuse me. Lights change to corridor as Philo and Pem step in. Kenny's still got the cough. All night? Yeah. Where is he now? Mrs. Palmer's sitting with him. I want to take him to the doctor Bill recommended. Sure, absolutely. It's going to cost $10 just for the visit. Well, then that's what it costs. Okay. Go back to work. Okay. Lights up on a lab as Philo steps back in. Okay. When light hits Mary Pickford, uh, when light hits Mary Pickford, it gets excited. The photons, light is made up of photons. The photons get excited, which means they move. Now, once they move, they can be manipulated by photoelectric material and captured in this tube. And then they can be sent by an electric tra- electronic transmitter to a cathode. A cathode makes photons glow. So what have we done? Well, we've reconstructed a light image of Mary Pickford formed by the photons she excited. And though the effect is almost instantaneous, it's done by line by line, horizontal line. Extraordinary. Wouldn't you think so, Charlie? Doug. But here's the problem. What? It doesn't work. Grell lets his head bang against the nearest hard surface. It works. He's kidding. He has a playful sense of humor. Yeah, it works. You're going to see it work, but it doesn't work well. The amount of light needed to get a picture that any of you would be interested in would, would blind you. You know why? No, really, I'm asking. Does anybody know why? We're going out of our minds in here. Lights change to Crocker's office. It doesn't work? Bill. You told the owners of United Artists that it doesn't work? Not all of the owners. Chaplin was on a scoring stage. Doesn't work? I said it didn't work very well. Oh, much better. Bill, United Artists wasn't buying, neither was Philco, neither was Magnavox. How did you know UA wasn't buying? Because it doesn't work very well. I think your presentation could have been sunnier. You think I could be sunnier? I do. I shouldn't be showing it yet. It's not ready. It's embarrassing to me. How do you mix up Charlie Chaplin with Errol Flynn? I mixed him up with Douglas Fairbanks, but I I think that's the least of our concerns. What should be the most of our concerns? Do I look like I'm in the mood for this? Do I look like I'm in the mood for this? Sorry. Uh, I have light falling on the cesium oxide coating, and I charge it up with electrons. I move the charge image alongside an electrode, an aperture, and that's where light dissipates. Bill, it is impossible that this problem can't be solved. It's something small, and it's right under our noses. How many times have you built and torn apart the image dissector? I don't know. I'd have to check the journals. Probably around 2,000 times. Jesus. It's right under our noses. Let me talk to Phil for a minute. Chaplin is the little tramp. Fairbanks is the swashbuckler. I don't think they walk around town like that, but thanks, George. Everson exits. One in four adult American males are unemployed. I know. 25%. Am I about to be one of them? The economy is not turning around, is my point. 
It will. Do you know when? No. Do you know when you'll have a picture suitable for commercial use? No. Those two answers work terribly together. Before this century is over, a man is going to walk on the moon. I swear to God that's going to happen. And everyone in the world is going to watch him do it on a television. I know. We're sure it's just engineering. Absolutely sure. You'll try to make your presentations a little more optimistic? Yes, sir. All right. Halo starts to leave, then turns back. Bill, uh, you know, I always meant to tell you, I know you took a beating in the market, and I've always meant to tell you that I really admired the way you hung in there with Boeing. You didn't sell. It was a real act of, I don't know, it was a real act of patriotism, I think. You could have done- I didn't. Hang in there. I was quiet about it that day, but I sold Boeing. Well, that's okay, too. You got a family. No. My father's going to come back from the grave and punch me in the head. My father and his brothers, you know, they built the railroad. They wanted me to do what was next. You are. Don't sell your shares of the Farnsworth Television Company. I'm not going to make a fool out of you. Well, that ship sailed a long time ago, but I appreciate it. Go home and get some sleep. I'm going to meet my guys at the place and go back up to the lab. The sale or consumption of alcohol was against the law that year. A law that never produced fewer drinkers, just more criminals. How did I know where he'd be? Because I knew where he drank. Lights changed to speakeasy. Cliff, Stan, and Harlan are entertaining three young women whose faces we don't get to see yet. There was a chess club on Green Street where for a nickel you could sit down and play chess or backgammon and have a cup of coffee or a cream soda. If they knew you, you could go back in. Phil! Harlan's in the middle of a story with three women, so Philo motions for Cliff and Stan to come join him. Everything go all right over there? Yeah. Is Crocker's not mad? No, he's mad, but, you know. We're all right? Yeah. Where did you meet the women? Their secretaries from... Back east. You're on vacation in San Francisco and they got in here somehow. <laughs> you know, Bill, seriously, working in television has made it easier to meet girls. Well, then it's all been worth it, Stan. And that man at the bar has been asking when you'll be in. Who is he? I don't know. He's Russian. You guys get the secretaries. I get the Russian guy at the bar. That's the only reason Pim lets us live. Philo nods that he can identify with that as he adds as as he heads to the bar and stands a few feet from Shortkin, who's nursing a drink. Bushmill rocks. Thanks. The bartender starts making the drink. You know, Leslie Gorell says I'm drinking too much. So does Pim. No, I'll let you know. Excuse me, uh, you were asking after me. I'm Philo Farnsworth? Relative to what? I'm sorry? They say you're drinking too much relative to what? Philo smiles and stares at the man for a moment. You're Vladimir Zorkin? Yes, and I've come to meet you. Maybe my wife's right. Maybe God did walk in Utah. 
Is that what she thinks? I meant that you couldn't have come at a better time. I'm really happy to meet you. My whole lab follows your work real closely. What I would like, I would like to have a drink with you. Then we go across the street and you show me your image dissector. This device that breaks light down line by line, the way we plow a field. I follow you closely too. We're going to do better than that. Fellas, we're going to have a drink, go across the street, and then build one right in front of you. Guys, come on, meet Vladimir's Zorkin. Now, to his credit, Zorkin didn't want to go to San Francisco. He was a proud man who had been working on television his whole life and always felt like he was one small step away. Up in the lab, they opened another bottle and began building an image dissector. They're sitting and standing around the table, Philo working and the others handing him instruments at the precise moment he needs them. They might show a particular piece to his work in before, he gets, before it gets soldered on. Soldered on. Oh, I was in Berlin when the war broke out in 1914 after leaving the lab of... Uh, oh, oh, yes, in Paris. I went back to St. Petersburg, which is now Leningrad, and was... Uh, what's the word when you're taken into the army? Conscripted. <laughs> I was conscripted. I was a lieutenant assigned to the Russian wireless telegraph and the telephone company, and I made a close study of the latest in vacuum tubes. Also made a close study of a young dental student named Tatiana Vasiliev. Your wife. Correct. Now, this rod will be hot, Mr. Zhorkin. You don't want to... I know exactly how hot it is. Uh, Yes, sir. I was certain after my success with rosing with... Langevin, and with the vacuum tubes, I would develop a a method by which we could see from a distance. Then I found out the police were looking for me. Why? They were having a revolution. Ah. Yeah. The things I could have done. The fucking things I could have done. Cliff enters with a glass tube. Here it is. Cliff's tube will have to cool for a couple hours, but let me show you where, uh, what it looks like when, when it does. Tatiana went to Germany. I went to Pittsburgh. Bila grabs a cathode tube and hands it to Schwerkin. Pittsburgh's all right. I've, I've been to Pittsburgh. The conference of which three rivers? The Monongahela, the Allegheny. I don't understand. Oh, and either the Missouri or the Mississippi. I don't understand. You see something we did wrong? No. The seal on the tube. The Pyrex seal. You've sealed an optically clear disc of Pyrex onto the end of the receptor tube. Cliff did. Yeah, that was our first breakthrough. I'd been assured both by Westinghouse and GE, I'd been assured this couldn't be done. Well, don't feel bad. I'd been assured of the same thing by every glassblower in San Francisco. How'd you do it? Me? Yes. I didn't know any better. Agnes hurries in. So. Aggie, what are you doing here, so? Come with me, quick. Phil, it's Kenny. Lights change to hospital where Pam is standing with two doctors as Philo comes in. He's with the doctors. This is my husband. It's a streptococcal infection and we're concerned it might spread to his lungs. We want to perform a preventative tracheotomy, and we want to do it right now. Well, you're not going to cut my son's throat open, so let's figure something else out. Sir. He's two years old. We're going to figure out something else. There isn't anything else. 
Talk me through the problem. Dr. Farnsworth, we don't have time to teach you medicine. I'm a very quick study. Look. The infection, is it caused by a virus or is it caused by bacteria? Bacteria. Can alcohol be injected selectively into cells? Why would you want to inject? It kills germs. No, it can't be injected selectively. Why not? Kill. Why not? Can you imagine the size of the instrument? I'd need to do that. All right. Look, we need to clear the trachea, and the only way to do that is... No. Tissue is full of salt water. Salt water conducts electricity. What if we put electromagnets out, out on the side of his throat? Sir. Listen to me. A coil that wraps around his throat. Even if there were such a device. I can build one. Phil. It'll take me two hours. I can build one. Mr. Farnsworth, Dr. Westbrook needs to begin preparing your son for surgery. You'll need to stay out here. I can build one! You'll need to stay out here. The lights go to black as we hear a timpani roll and a speaker announce. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the opening of the greatest auditorium on Earth, the Radio City Music Hall! And we hear an orchestra begin as lights change to Radio City Lobby, where an usher is holding a telephone as Sarnoff comes out in a tuxedo. Mr. Sarnoff? Yeah? For you, sir. This is David. Yeah? Yeah, I'll be the first thing in the morning. He gives the phone back as Lisette comes out in an evening gown. David? That was Charlie. That was good news. What is it? Vladimir got a picture! A clear one using manageable light. Vladimir got a picture? A good picture with photograph lamps. Charlie says the clearest picture that's ever been transmitted. So now what happens? Well, I'm going to take the train down to Camden in the morning and see for myself. I don't understand. I'm going to go to Camden in the morning. And then what? What do you mean? I don't understand. I'm taking a railroad train to Camden in the morning and looking at the picture. And then what do you do with it? I do what I do. I'm Mrs. Sarnoff. Could I have my coat, please? I am leaving. Well, what the hell are you... What? I am leaving. I'll be waiting out front. Liz! Liz! Lizette exits. That's a lot of fun being me. Lights change to street as Sarnoff comes out. You're going to freeze out here. No, I'm not. Well, I'm going to freeze out here. Tatiana Zworkin said Vladimir went to San Francisco last month. Well, let's go back inside. Did he visit Farnsworth's lab? I have no idea. You're full of shit, David. Your coat, Mrs. Jim. Thank you. Thank you. But if we have this conversation in private, then there's less chance I'm going to read a transcript of it in the papers tomorrow. How is it that for 10 years, Vladimir can't get a picture? And then a month after he gets back from San Francisco, Charlie Strauss says he's got the clearest. I don't know. Where has Betsy been? Well, who the hell is Betsy? Your secretary. Betty. Where has she been? Well, she's been on vacation. In San Francisco for five weeks. Her mother lives in San Francisco. Her mother is sick. What's the get around Farnsworth department? What's happened to you tonight? I've heard people talk about the get around around Farnsworth Department. You're obsessed. Liz. With this ridiculous thing, which will at best be a toy for rich people. 
That's not what it's going to be. That wasn't the point. That's not what it's going to be. And that is the point. It's going to change everything. It's going to end ignorance and misunderstanding. It's going to end illiteracy. It's going to end war. How? By pointing a camera at it. You think if Germany knows we can see them, they won't march across Europe? I think when we see them do it, we'll stop them. I think you need a vacation. What, so you brought me out here to the sidewalk? You think I'm being funny? You know what you've done. Sorkin applied for a patent four years before Farnsworth. His didn't work. U.S. patent law is very complicated. Is it? In 23... Zorkin made what was we are called a generic claim, which, which, with modifications, engineering, now work. How? Well, I don't know yet. I'm taking the train to Camden in the morning. It works because he got something from Farnsworth. And that's what you sent him to do. You knew you weren't marrying a stupid woman. I think you just stole television. Lights change to Crocker's office. Crocker, Everson, Gorel, and so- someone new are waiting. The mood is tense as Philo comes in. What happened? What's going on? This is Donald Lippincott. He's your lawyer. I'll pay the bills. Mr. Farnsworth, I want you to know that I got a degree in electrical engineering before attending law school and becoming president of the Patent Law Association of San Francisco. What the hell is going on? Vladimir Zorkin at the Westinghouse lab transmitted an electronic image. I'm sure he did. We showed him how to. You showed him how to? Yeah. When? He was here three months ago. What are you telling us? Bill, he was out here. He came into the place he wanted to see. He came into the place. He wanted to see the lab. We built an image dissector for him. What are you saying? He went back to Camden, New Jersey and reverse engineered it. He doesn't work in Camden. He works in Pittsburgh. Westinghouse moved their labs to Camden. When RCA bought Victor Talking Machines, Westinghouse isn't a sister company under GE anymore. It is part of RCA. What does any of that matter? David Sarnoff bought Westinghouse so he'd own Zwerkin's 23 patent, which now works. Zorkin didn't have to come to my lab to find out how to make an image dissector. A patent application's public. I have to say exactly what I'm going to do and how I'm going to do it. It's an instruction manual. All he had to do was read it. That's not all he had to do. What do you mean? Apparently. It's a very good picture, and he's only using Klieger lamps. Wait. Are, Are you saying he stole from us, or are you saying he's got something we don't have? has to be both. I think you're being paranoid. Phil. There's an international community of scientists which, at this level, share... Remember this newspaper story? Lippicott's holding up the Chronicle. Yeah, that's when we got the first picture. Philo, you've been at war with David Sarnoff since the day this showed up in New York City. So what we're going to do is this... We're going to file a patent interference suit. We're gonna take depositions and submit briefs to a lay court and ask it to grant priority of invention. And what happens then? A judge in Delaware is going to decide who invented television. Can you think of anything offhand that he might have seen in the lab which wasn't in your original invention? 
Philo doesn't say anything, but he knows the answer. Anything with the cesium, potassium, anything with the transmitter? It was the Pyrex seal. We didn't know there was a way to seal the tube. Nobody lied and nobody broke the law. Who were the girls in the bar, the secretaries? Nobody broke the law, Phil. Lights changed to speakeasy. Phil! Philo stands there and sta- stands there and Stan comes over. Phil, you've been standing in the doorway for two minutes. The secretaries are here again? Yeah, but Harlan and I had a new idea we wanted to. Excuse me. Philo walks right over to the women, one of whom he can na- we can now see is Betty. Phil, ladies, this is the boy genius. This is Philo Farnsworth. Nice to meet you. What's your name? There's something threatening in Philo's tone, and Betty immediately knows he knows. This is Betty, and this is Helen, and... Where do you work? Um, they're on vacation from New York, Phil. Betty's seeing after her mom, who is... Where do you work? They're secretaries. Where do you work? What's going on? I'm secretary to the president of RCA. Are you kidding me with this shit? We're imagining it. They're sitting right here. Phil? They were there once. They never came back. You think I'm delusional? Kenny died. They cut his throat open and he died. You were half out of your mind. The girls were there once. I need to talk to you guys. I didn't know they were from RCA. Should we ask them up to the lab? Let's not. Why? Well, for one thing, I'm not sure anymore that they're really here, but that's besides the point. Hang on, Phil. Vladimir's working has taken Cliff's tube and combined it with something that he's got to produce what's apparently a very clear picture using 1,000-watt light. He's claiming it's a modification of his 23-inch design and asking a judge to grant him a patent on television. So we're suing him. What? Yeah, things have taken a turn, but you really got to ask yourself. What? How the hell did he fix it? Plates change to steps outside church. We hear funeral organ music as mourners mill around the street. A man is talking to Sarno. He was a businessman. Memorial service was held at St. Patrick's Cathedral on Fifth Avenue for Thomas Edison. He was a businessman, and I'll tell you why. I don't need you to tell me why. He saw the electrical lines were an eyesore, so he said to the city, I will form a company and you will pay us to put the lines underground. Consolidated Edison. See how he got paid twice? Maybe you want to stop talking. I'm saying. The widow is walking over here. Mina Edison has made her way over. David. Mina. This is a wonderful turnout. Thank you. This is all for Tom. There's someone I want you to meet. I want to let you know that the lights at Rockefeller Center will go dim for two minutes tonight. That's very nice, David. Thank you. Pem. Pem has come over from the group of mourners. She and Sarnoff immediately know who the other is. Pem, this is David Sarnoff. Uh, David, this is Pem Farnsworth, the wife of, of Tom's young friend in San Francisco. Uh, I'm pleased to meet you. 
Yes. I'm sorry, what, what time did you say the lights would? 8 p.m. I should join the kids. Sure. Nina exit and Sarnoff and Pema are alone. I understand that your, your son died recently. Yes. I'm, I'm sorry. Was it sudden? Yes. How, how is your whole, uh, husband holding up? Something like this, I mean. I certainly hope you're not trying to make a point about his mental health. I wasn't. He couldn't be here. He had to stay in San Francisco. For the dep depositions. They seem to be asking him a lot of questions about the level of formal education he had. I assume your lawyers are preparing to argue that someone from Indian Creek with a year at BYU wouldn't be able to... I, I'm sure the lawyers would prefer we didn't discuss this. Can I ask you something before we go in? Yes. The Ford Motor Company had a problem with people stealing their customers' cars right off the street. And they held a contest in Science and Invention magazine to see who could come up with the best solution. Philo wrote in that you could magnetize the starting mechanism near the steering column. And if you magnetized a key in the exact same way, then only that key would start the car and he won the contest. My husband invented the ignition lock, which may not sound like much, except he was 12 years old at the time. What were you doing when you were 12 years old, Mr. Sarnoff? Well, that, that would have been two years after my parents and I were run out of our house by Cossacks, so. Mrs. Farnsworth, so I, I was teaching myself how to speak English. I'm sorry about your boy. Lights change to Lippincott's office. Lippincott is reading to Cliff Stan Harlan. Philo is detached, looking through piles of paper. Here's Herbert Hoover talking about television. Sarnoff got Jim Harvard on, uh, to plant the piece in a newspaper. This invention, again, emphasizes a new era in the approach to scientific discovery. It is the result of organized, planned, and definitely directed scientific research, magnificently coordinated in a cumulative group of highly skilled scientists. So we know he's not talking about us. No. A cumulative group of highly skilled scientists, loyally supported by a great corporation devoted to the advancement of the art. The intricate process of this invention, bear in mind he's never seen one, the intricate process of this invention could, are you ready, uh, never have been developed under any conditions of isolated effort. This is for anyone who thinks I'm still paranoid, Philo. Are you still listening? My what? No, sorry. Herbert Hoover is devoted to the arts now. How? Libincott's secretary steps in. Mr. Lippincott, what are you doing? Somewhere in here, he has to have described something that he's doing differently. Cliff, you're looking at the aperture. Yeah. Phil, Phil I need your head in this. Lippincott steps over to his secretary. There's a man here who says he knows Mr. Farnsworth and can help. What's his name? Uh, Justin Tillman. Phil, you know anyone named Tillman? No. Let me see what he wants. Flipping cut exits. The the coating? Oh, there's something with the photoelectric coating. He's got magic 
photoelectric coating? Is it possible it's affected by humidity or atmospheric pressure or barometric pressure? You think we haven't gotten a clear picture because the, the weather hasn't been good enough. You're right. Let's revisit your theory that he has magic photoelectric material. Living Cut re-enters with Justin Tolman. Phil? Philo, do you remember who I am? Philo looks up. In his present state of mind, this is almost like a mirage. Uh, Mr. Tolman? So you do know each other? I taught Philo basic science in high school. Wow. Who taught you? Mr. Tolman, what are you doing here? My wife and I moved here last year. I read this in the local paper. I'm not sure if um, this will mean anything, but I thought maybe you could use it. Tolman's taken out a science textbook. He opens it to a certain page and takes out a folded piece of paper and unfolds it on the desk. You drew this for me. First week of September, 1921. Look at that. Shit. Look at that. It's the image dissector. There's the seal. Yeah. Did you say 21? Mm -hmm. Did you say he drew this in 1921? First week of September. Mr. Tolman, would you give a deposition in this matter? Yes, sir. Would you state your full name, please? Justin Tolman. Charles Strauss. Ernst Alexanderson. The stage has begun to fill with witnesses being deposed. Edward Rockdale. I have bachelor's and master's degrees from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology in Mechanical Engineering. PhD in Electrical Engineering. My PhD is in Chemistry. The faculty of the Rennesler Polytechnic Institute. The Princeton Institute of Advanced Studies. At the United States Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland. And for the visiting team. I left Caltech after my junior year to work for Mr. Farnsworth. I taught him high school science in Rigby, Idaho. He's married to my sister. Would you state your full name, please? Vladimir Kosma Zvorkin. Z-W-O-R-Y-K-I-N. Lights change to conference room. Schwartkin is being deposed. This is all routine and without courtroom theatrics. Philo and Lippincott sit at the table. Philo is still going through all the papers and diagrams. Mr. Zwarkin, did you make a patent application in 1923? Yes. Would you describe your invention? The system disclosed by my application utilizes a cathode ray tube as the element for translating the optical image into the electrical wave train. Now, something incredible is about to happen, and these lawyers are thoroughly unprepared for it. So as to reconstruct there an electro-optical representation of the impress or infalling optical image. In the 11 years since that application, have you made any modifications? Hang on. Yes. Would you name one of these modifications? Restore the light. You just saw it. Phil. You store the light. Mr. Lippincott, your client can't... In place of the usual fluorescent end wall... Phil. ...portion of the tube, Zworkin replaces this structure with a new type of composite or mosaic, uh, mosaic electrode. 
You're speaking out loud. Stored the light. Yes. Vladimir jumps in. Gentlemen. We're using continuous potassium coating. Mr. Zworkin. I used droplets. I'm seeing that. Or globules. You see, the mosaic. And the different elemental areas stored the light. Yes. Gentlemen. You did it. You found it. I'd like to take a five-minute break now. Yeah, me too. The lawyers were, were also unable to recognize signs of a nervous breakdown. Hey, come on. Fellas, I mean, whichever way this ends up going, I mean, it's done. It's done. We have television now. The judge enters and puts a heavy book down along with a pile of briefs and makes a few administrative na- notations during the following. Now, there was no formal- formality or gravity to the judge's decision. I don't even know if he was wearing a robe when he read it. It was one of those three or four dozen pieces of business before the court that morning, most of them having to do with the new design for a toaster. You can sit. This will just take a second. The court's reviewed the brief submitted by the parties and is ready to rule. The only question in controversy is whether the optical pyrex seal at the end of the cathode tube constitutes new matter in Zorkin's 1923 application. I find that it does not, and that it does, in fact... Oh, you gotta be kidding me! Uh, No! Excuse me. And that it does, in fact, fall within generic claims made in the application. A decree will be entered awarding priority of invention to Vladimir Zorkin and authorizing the Commissioner of Patents to approve the original 1923 application. This matter is adjourned. I may be wrong. He may have won that first one and lost an appeal. Or lost and then won and lost again. I don't know. It went on for a long time. The suits and countersuits and the appeals, it it didn't matter. All I needed to do was run down the clock on his 17 years, and that was easy, because by this time we were getting ready for war, and everybody's resources were being directed towards developing an instrument based on the idea that targets reflect radio signals and create an echo. Now, radio detection and ranging, it was called, or radar for short. The lawyers and the investors and the friends had left. And then Farnsworth and Zorkin exchanged a few words before Zorkin slipped out the side door and Farnsworth and I were left alone. Fellow has turned around and sees Sarnoff on the other side of the stage. I'm David Sarnoff. I'm Philo Farnsworth. Sure. You come all the way down here from New York. Sure. What did you say to Zorkin? Hmm? For posterity's sake, did you tell him to fuck off? No. I asked him how he fell on the mosaic pattern for light storage. How'd he do it? The lab assistant left a tube in an oven too long, and the silver boiled up into little pieces. You should find out the name of the lab assistant and write it down somewhere. He and my brother-in-law built the first television. Listen, I'm sure your lawyers told you that this decision has no legal effect on your patent. Just us. (laughs) Is that right? No, I mean it. You ever hear of Elisha Gray? No. He invented the telephone and then showed up at the patent office office exactly 120 minutes after Alexander Graham Bell. Ah, this isn't like that. You're free to license your patent, and so are we. And in a side-by-side comparison between RCA and the Farnsworth Television Company, where do you suppose the manufacturers are going to go? I just lost other people's money. I just lost television. And I won't lie to you, Mr. Sarnoff, the billion dollars I'm not going to get might have come in handy. So don't patronize me. How did your son die? What? 
I'm sorry. How did your son die? He died of strep throat. What are you gonna do now? I have to call my wife and apologize for wasting her time. Come work for us, CA. We have a lab in Camden, a lab in Session Taddy. You move your family there, you're put on a salary. I appreciate it, but no thank you. <laughs> Why? I don't want to be told what to invent, and once I invent it, I don't want someone else owning it. So what are you going to do? Well, people are starting to talk about fusion. I'm sorry? Fusion. What is it? What powers the rest of the universe? The sun gets its energy from hydrogen particles crashing into each other at hellacious speeds. Now, if we can recreate that in a controlled environment, then theoretically all the energy you need to run the world you could find in this pen. Well, where are you going to get the hydrogen? The whole place is made out of hydrogen. Oh, so you're saying we're going to use petroleum. A gallon of water has three time, 300 times as much energy as a gallon of gasoline. It doesn't cost anything, and you're never going to run out. <laughs> you're crazy. I heard that a lot when I suggested we can transmit pictures electronically, which was in 1921, by the way, and there is no reason for your people to humiliate Justin Tolman like that. He was an old man with a crumpled piece of paper who'd forgotten a lot of things, including his home address. You sued me. Why did Edwin Armstrong kill himself? I don't believe everything you hear. The guy comes up with frequency modulation, then jumps off the top of a radio tower. The same thing killed Armstrong as killed you. You? No, but that's a good guess. Alcoholism. Maybe. Maybe. I know for sure that vomiting on my shoes shrunk. I'm, be I'm a better engineer than anyone you've got sober. Like, I don't know that. Listen, you're not pissed off at me. You're pissed off because no one in your lab left a tube in the oven too long. You never got it right. It was a hard problem. How hard? Zorkin never got it right at all, and if it wasn't for me, he'd still be spinning a pinwheel right now. Zorkin's a hack, he's second string. He's your understudy. You gave it away. You're talking to me about giving it away? If you'd been smart or sober, you could have... Uh... The opportunity to lift ourselves intellectually, culturally, spiritually, economically... Oh, you're a fan of my speeches. Radio should be run like a public library, like a library. Whatever happened to no paid advertising during informational programming? You're talking to me about giving it away? Yeah, I didn't have a choice. You're the president of RCA and the founder of the National Broadcasting Company. You had a variety of choices. No, I didn't. We both blew it huge, but the difference is I didn't know the answer to my light dissipation problem. You knew that once there was a financial incentive for a news broadcast to be popular, it would be making a mockery out of both of our lives to say, to say nothing of a society being informed enough to participate in its own democracy. Yes. Yes? I made one single miscalculation in my life, and that was that I had no idea how successful the thing was going to be at delivering consumers to advertisers. And my friend, once you're good at that, you're going to have a hard time being good at anything else. Really? Yeah. How hard? You said, go fuck yourself to a Russian soldier when you were 10, but you couldn't say no to advertising dollars? You tried really hard, but you couldn't. God, Phil!
That wouldn't have been your way of calling me a kite by any chance, would it? David, I don't give a shit if you think Jesus Christ is the Messiah or not. I'm married to a woman who will believe in Santa Claus before she'll believe Darwin. If you had to do it over, would you have cashed out early and sold me the patent? If I had to do it over, I'd discover an antibiotic for strep throat. I'm work for RCA. Did you come down here to offer me a job? No. No, I didn't. I came down here to tell you that I think your invention is extraordinary. I wanted to tell you and to say that it is my intention to be a worthy custodian. Good luck. Philo extends his hand. Sarnoff shakes it, then Philo exits. I never met Philo Farnsworth. I just made that last scene up. I wish I, I should have met with him. I couldn't. It attract attention, so I'd met with him, or if I'd offered him a job. It doesn't matter. By and large, that was the last time anyone heard from him. He was hospitalized in 1949 for depression. He'd live another 25 years after that, but he died drunk and broke and uh, in obscurity. Pete Conrad was the third man on the moon. When he stepped off the LEM, he radioed back what you'd expect, the usual. Houston, Tranquility Base, and such and such is operational, and and so on. Then he stops. And he looks around, and he feels under his feet in an entirely different voice. He says, my God, we were meant to be explorers. Then a moment later, he said, and good luck, Mr. Fitzer. I got a chance to meet Conrad later, and I asked him, what did you mean when you said, good luck, Mr. Fitzer? Apparently, the Fitzers were his neighbors growing up, and he, and yeah, one night he heard them fighting, and Miss Fitzberg shouted, Oral sex? You'll get oral sex when the next kid walks on the moon. <laughs> I don't understand why people who say that, what business do we have going to the moon when people around the world are starving, you know? First of all, people aren't starving because we went to the moon. One doesn't have much to do with the other, but you go to the moon because it's next. You know, we came out of the cave, went over the hill, crossed the ocean, pioneered a continent, took to the heavens. You know, we were meant to be explorers. Explorers, builders, and protectors. I don't think I stole television. I mean, if I did, I, I, I did it fair and square. But you know, he deserved better in my hands. He was going to do a lot more, but I burned his house down so he couldn't burn mine down first. That's all. Well, except for this. Every once in a while, I have a very romantic vision. Lights come on in a bar. The place is full and everyone is facing downstage watching a television that's mounted up in the corner, but which we can't see. We hear the commentary. We've passed the 60-second mark. Power transfer is complete. July 16th, 1969, 9.30 a.m. A bar is filled with the kind of people who are in bars at 9.30 a.m. We're on internal power with the launch vehicle at this time. Down at the end of the bar is this guy with the bush mills on the rocks. And in front of him are a half dozen cocktail napkins with ungodly diagrams scrawled all over them. All the second, all the second stage tanks now are pressurized. 30 seconds and counting. We are still go with Apollo 11. No one in the bar would ever be able to recognize it, but what he's drawn is a diagram of controlled hydrogen generator. Fusion. T minus 25 seconds. 
Here they go. T minus 20 seconds and counting. He hasn't lost his spirit. I haven't killed him. And he looks up at the television and he says, Godspeed, fellas. T minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. Godspeed, fellas. We have liftoff in 12, 11, 10, 9. Ignition sequence starts. 6, 5, 4, 3. Blackout. 